We will be looking today at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, a very familiar passage if you've been around churches uh, at all. And uh, when we start to think through what does a church look like, how do God's people, uh, how are we ought to function, uh, what is uh, God's call for us. Um, we're, so we're going to be looking at that, uh, that chapter. And uh, so... Um, I'll read the first few verses. Uh, would you stand as we hear from the word of God? God is speaking. We want to hear and submit uh, to him as he speaks. Paul writes this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one says Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another variety kinds of tongues, or various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Let's pray. Uh, God, would you take your word, would you use it, would you by your spirit uh, speak to us this morning. I pray that your word would come in power, that it would accomplish everything that you have set out to accomplish. God, thank you for your people. Thank you that you speak to us. God, give us listening ears. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. So one of my favorite authors is Richard Lovelace, and um, uh, this book, Dynamics of Spiritual Life, is one of my favorites that he has written. And he, in talking about revival and, and how God and, and the, the, the Spirit come and take, take root in, among his people, and he traces that over history, he, he makes a comment on the church, on, on basically God's people together. And he, he terms us uh, that we have come downstream of kind of this participatory type of worship, meaning that, or sorry, um, not participatory, ones that we are mere uh, kind of ones that are watching. We are, we are observers in, in uh, our sense of worship, observing the quote-unquote professionals uh, and uh, rather than God's people participating together. Well, 
we've inherited that from thousands years, uh, a thousand years of history coming out of the Middle Ages. Uh, but what's interesting is how that starts to pervade how we live as God's people. He says this. He says uh, this model of the Christian life, uh, the, the individual believer is connected to the source of grace, connected to Jesus, like a diver who draws his air supply from the surface through a hose. Basically, that the church, many times, because it's just me and Jesus, we're like kind of, we're kind of like helmet divers. You know, the ones where the, the, the hose comes down from the boat and you are connected by a single hose up to the boat. And uh, if your hose fails, even if you were in a group of a hundred other divers, really didn't matter. Because everybody's connected to Jesus, everybody's connected by their own air supply, uh, that he, the diver, is essentially a self-contained system, cut off from the other divers working around him. The situation would be no different if he were working alone a hundred miles away. Is that your idea of church? Is it just you connected to Jesus and you're surrounded by other people that are connected to Jesus, but yet we forget the idea that Jesus is meant to, yes, be connected to as the head, but that in, in so doing connects us to each other. Because this passage speaks to the idea of design. Uh, of like, like an artist or a sculptor, somebody that puts something intricately together. There's design in the body of Christ. That God designed the body by purposeful placement of its parts. Okay? That there is a design. And I don't know if you caught some of the words, um, but there's an, that this idea of the body is that it's arranged by God. And so we read verse 11. All these, all these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually. Okay, so there's this apportioning. Basically, that word is a, a dividing up of things, uh, to distribute something. You know, like there, there's a group of things here, and uh, those are divided among people by the Spirit. They are apportioned by the Spirit. We didn't read verse 18 yet, but, uh, but God picks up the same idea in verse 18 um, when he's talking about the body and the parts as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them. So not only has he apportioned or divided up or distributed, but he also arranges. So it's divided up and distributed and arranged. And this word arranged has the idea of, a, of depositing something or placing something. Uh, that, that God deposits gifts among his people purposefully placing you and maybe even how God has, has uniquely gifted you as, as one of his people. He, it's an arrangement. Uh, it's, it's like a coach saying, you know, to a player, I need you to do this. You know, even if you don't understand why, I need you to do this. There's a placement of God, of his people, and of gifting among. So there's a distribution and an arranging, a placing. But then in 24, the second half of that verse picking up into 25 but God has so composed the body giving greater honor uh, to the part that lacked it that there may be no division in the body but that the members have the same care 
for one another. So now God composes the body, okay? Uh, and, you know, like, like the idea of uh, those things, you know, basically things fitting together, a unified whole, uh, like pieces of a puzzle. So how do these things that are distributed are placed specifically and deposited in certain places in certain ways that they fit together to become a unified whole? And what's interesting is that it wasn't just those words. What is the thought process that God is using for that distribution, for that arranging and placement, and for that knitting and composing together? What's the thought process that he uses? Comes in the second half of two of those verses that I already read but didn't finish. Okay, Verse 11. Uh, verse 11, basically it's the spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Okay, Verse 18. Uh, verse 18 I might need new glasses. All right. Uh, but as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. And so it's according to as he wills and as he chooses, that's the makeup of God's people. So how we are made up, how we're arranged, how we're placed, that you're deposited here at Grace Point, that you're a part of this local body, that you're a part of the larger people of God, is according to the wisdom of God and his creative power and design, okay? If you're one who makes things and, and, and loves to design, you understand what it is to place something for a purpose, and that's what God is doing in his people. The purposeful placement and design of his people together. But then there's this, uh, yeah, then there's this sense of this concept called irreducible complexity. This is a, a, uh, a phrase borrowed from the scientific world uh, that much of evolutionary science says is garbage, okay? But yet it's the idea that intelligent design or creation sits upon, or at least it's one of many. Uh, Irreducible Complexity uh, was written by, um, written by Michael um, Behe and written about there in Darwin's Black Box, his book. He says it's this, it's a single system which is composed of several well-matched inter interacting parts that contribute to a basic function. And where the removal of all or any one of those parts causes the system to effectively cease to function. Basically, there's a hundred parts working together, and if you take one of them out, the whole thing falls apart. Okay? So how do you get from one to the next to the next to the next? That's, that's the idea of design. But for us, it's the sense where God's body is made up the same way. Okay? Think of a car without a timing belt. Okay, how far are you going if your car doesn't have a timing belt? Okay, you're, you're not moving, right? A car without one tire, you know, it's a different thing. You're not really functioning all that well. A body without a liver or without a heart ceases to live, cannot survive. Uh, you know, now, some parts allow life to continue but limit the body's function, uh, so what, uh, you know, a body can't survive without a heart, but a body can survive without a leg. But what happens to the, to the function of the body? It's alive, but is severely hindered, right? 
It's not fully functioning. And what happens to the rest of the body when one part is not functioning or is removed? All the other parts compensate for it, and ultimately, it ultimately leads to the other parts being injured. Because everything starts to counteract and all of that. So there's this complexity to God's people that, that if you take one part out, the whole thing, not saying it falls apart, but it severely suffers. It severely suffers. And so th this image of the body is great. And so uh, it, it's the sense in verse 14 that the body does not consist of one member but of many. So here's an illustration of what the body of Christ ought to look like and ought to function like. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less of a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Not again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on the, those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which, are, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. What's great in that is that, uh, oh, I stopped too soon. Um, there may be no, he does this so that there's no division in the body, that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. There is so much in uh, this, this concept. Uh, but that, that last part, if one part suffers, we all suffer. Uh, and uh, we grieve together, we, we mourn together, we long for uh, the hope of the gospel together, um, and, and we, we, I think, intuitively understand that better than the other side. What is it to rejoice together? If one part is honored, we all rejoice together. We don't celebrate very well, do we? Because here's, here's what's interesting. Culturally, it's acceptable to speak hurt and pain and suffering. That's acceptable. To speak about your promotion at work, to speak about some investment that went nuts and God just blessed you, your socks off, to speak about something that you accomplished, to speak about well-being and all that, that is unacceptable in culture. Because you're prideful, you're arrogant, you're just trying to put everybody else down. But what happens about that is that we, we suffer together, but we can't celebrate together. Now, here's the thing. I will submit to you, it's a dangerous thing to toot your own horn, okay? <laughs> Wouldn't recommend it. But here's the thing. For a body to celebrate together, the rest of the body has to be close enough 
to recognize when things need to be celebrated. Here's the danger of the American church, uh, and is that, uh, number one, we live separately, you know, ancient Israel, they, were, they lived like compact, uh, you know, they shared walls and stuff, uh, and we're like, dude, I need my acres, uh, and you know, so we're not close enough just geographically, but do our lives intersect enough where you're around each other enough, people are around you, that they could notice when something God has done needs to be celebrated. Because I think there is a rightness to us not speaking that with the same fervor as other things, but I think we lack when, it's, when we can only suffer together uh, rather than also celebrate, I think there's a lacking. So God's purposeful placement uh, in all these things, God, the body is deeply hindered when parts are missing. Okay? Uh, in being around the church enough, you, you kind of have uh, th this camp of people that feel useless, that feel worthless, that feel like they have nothing to offer, uh, that, and that, that may or may not depict you in some way. And, and I feel for those, those people, maybe that's, maybe that's you. Maybe you're like, I just haven't figured out how am I a part of the body. And let me submit to you, God has placed you here. God has placed you in his body for a purpose, for a reason, and by his design. Worthlessness gets shoved out the door. Uselessness gets pushed away. Now, we get to find out what God has us here for. But for you to not function, to, for, for you to, to maybe play it safe, you're pushing back on the design of God. But then there's the other side that people, you know, kind of like, you know what? I'm just going to kind of do my own thing. I'm going to isolate myself. Uh, maybe that's for selfishness or self-protection. You could probably, before God, search that one out. But there's these senses where, where we start to live and we start to not live connected, but disconnected. And that was never God's intent. Okay, so, uh, so all of those things is, is by the design of God. But then there's the variety in the body that unveils the one God. Okay, so did you hear the contrast? There was, a, there was two, big contra uh, two things that were contrasted here. It was the sameness or oneness of God and the variety of all the things among his people. It was same variety, same variety, same various, one various, variety, various, same. It was all throughout this, pa this passage, right? So it, it talks about the same spirit, the same Lord, the same God, the one God in three persons. The one who is uh, to be worshipped is the one who gives a variety of gifts, a variety of service, and causes a variety of actions. One Lord, a variety of people, one body. And so the variety actually unveils and reveals and causes people to see and understand God. Okay? Uh, that, that, that they may know. Verse 7 is really interesting uh, in that to each, meaning to each person, to each member, to each part, is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good now what's that word manifestation 
you know, if something, uh, you know, is, is made manifest, it shows up. Uh, it is um, actually able to be seen and understand. Actually, the word here is to reveal something, like a revelation, not prophetic, but just something, causing something to be seen, to disclose something, or to set, some, set forth plainly. Basically, it's something that was not known becomes known. And what's interesting is as we function, as the Spirit has uniquely gifted his people, God is made known to people around us that they may know. Verse 1, he talks about those, I don't want you to be uninformed. Verse 2, don't be led astray. Verse 3, I want you to understand so the gifting of the Spirit reveals the Spirit. And if people can be uninformed, led astray, and not understand, then as we function in our unique gifting, as we function and follow the Spirit of God, we make Him known. So fully functioning in the body of Christ, and what I mean by that is not simply coming to worship once a week, fully apart of the body of Christ is not simply a duty or an obligation that we fulfill. It will actually unveil, reveal to someone who did not know or maybe did not know fully, unveil the Spirit of God to people who don't know Him. Or to reveal the Spirit of God in ways that people that do know Him have not realized before. Why should you be involved in the body of Christ? Well, because I'm supposed to. No, so that people would know Jesus. And why do we do that? It's th we're, those things that the Spirit has given, where, where, they, they sh um, uh, where, where the gifts of the Spirit show up are for the common good. This word is, is symphero in the Greek. It's from our word symphony. Okay, that, or at least we get our word symphony from it, right? Uh, and a symphony uh, is an, an integration of different elements to create an elaborate musical composition, okay? Different parts, and so symphony is a together sound, phone. Um, so symphero is actually, is togetherness with the sense of advantage, and so it's an advantage, advantageous togetherness that the Spirit makes himself ma uh, manifest and discloses himself in the gifting that he gives his people. And they are given. Even in the word gift is the word grace in the Greek. They are given. It's an act of his grace. It's not something you went out and earned. It's not something, it is because of the gospel, because of God's redeeming work on your behalf, he has given his people gifts and abilities. And, and all throughout this passage are the variety of those things and the variety of gifts, the different roles coming at the end of this chapter of apostle, prophet, teacher, and all of the different things, they're not all the same. And that is for our good and for our advantage. But what's wild is uh, if it's kind of interesting in like American Christianity, uh, you probably struggle with one of these two things. Either I don't matter or you don't matter. 
Okay? You probably tend towards one or the other. You know, the I don't matters are the useless, worthless, I'm not functioning. Um, but the you don't matter, what's really interesting is maybe, maybe it's really saying I don't need you. And I think that has less to do with the other person and more to do with the person making that thought process. I don't need you says that I am okay by myself. Or maybe you're just going to let me down and hurt me anyway, so I'm going to live without needing you. Because if I, if I express my need, then I'm exposed. And the reality is, is that's the design of God. You don't have everything that you need, and it's purposeful. So that we never forget our need of the gospel. And if you're sitting here saying, all right, man, I don't know how in the world I'm gifted. I don't know what I'm good at. I don't know what I'm bad at. I'm an introvert. I, I'm really scared to talk to people. I'd rather read a book in the corner. Or I'm an extrovert and I just hide behind my extroversion. And I never get close to people because I can out-talk them. Wh whatever version of struggle that you're in... Let me borrow from the page of Roger Dye when he taught on spiritual gifts. And if you missed that Sunday school class, you missed a gem. Because what's the context of spiritual gifts and the body? What comes right after God saying we are, not, we are many parts but one body? That we're all going to operate according to our gifting for the benefit and the mutual benefit, the common good, the advantageous togetherness. What's the next passage? Is love. Every time, Roger pointed this out, every time that gifts are talked about in the Bible, love is either immediately preceding it or immediately following it. So if you're wondering, what, how, how, do I, how am I a part of the body? Let me encourage you. If I speak in the tongues of men and the tongues of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains... But have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. If you're wondering, how can I be a part of the body? Ask yourself, am I loving the other parts, the other people in God's family? Am I loving them the way that I would want to be loved? And I bet God will reveal gifting in the midst of that. But are you loving each other? Am I loving you? Are you loving me in the sense that I understand the love Jesus showed me and I can love as Christ loved? Because we're about to the table that is the expression of love, self-sacrifice, self-harm for the benefit and the gain of of his enemies not the ones who are really nice to him while we were still his enemies Christ died for us amen
Let's pray. God, I, I pray that you would use uh, this, uh, these elements, this bread, this cup for your glory. Uh, God, that, um, that, Father, we would not need to feel uh, that we need to rush through this. God, feed us as we, uh, as we come to you. Thank you for welcoming us to the table, not by our merit, but according to your grace. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I think we will go straight to the table, Pete, uh, in that communion uh, is fellowship uh, of God's people, but it's also fellowship with our Savior. That communion, we are communing together with him. Context is king, so make sure you go back and read 1 Corinthians 10, 11, 12, 13, because it, that's the context of the body of Christ. So 1 Corinthians 10, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the body of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share in the one loaf. We'll let the kids come in and so that they can actually see uh, the tangible expression of the gospel as we pass these elements uh, that that God these are visible words that God uses and so if your uh, children have not professed faith in Christ we ask they, that they abstain from uh, from partaking uh, if you've uh, we would love for them to uh, meet with uh, the elders and, and be able to profess their faith and be permitted to the table because these are the visible words of God Paul says this, for what I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. That on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the, is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And here's the sobering part. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So by doing this, we are telling the world that Jesus died for us. That Jesus died for your sin that separated you from God. And if you have not placed your faith in Jesus, if you have not come to the place where you surrender to him and put your life in his hands and by faith trust in him for your salvation, I'm going to ask that you not partake. Now, I want you to be here. I want you to stay so that you can see the elements go by. But why do we want you to not partake is because later in that passage, it says those who come in an unworthy manner, basically stained with sin, uncovered, by the blood of Jesus, eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Because what is it to proclaim the death of Jesus and then not rest in that for your salvation? Isn't that kind of saying like Jesus is accursed? He had to die, but he certainly didn't die for me. But those who say Jesus is Lord, that is given to you by the Spirit of God, you know that because he has enabled you to do that. So if, if you are one who is proclaiming Christ as your Savior, I welcome you to partake. So let's pray. 
Uh, Father, we come together as your people. We come as one body of your people, not merely individuals, but all connected because we are connected to Christ. Father, I pray that our connection would not be like that air hose to the, the, the grace supply of Jesus. But Father, to be connected to you implies that we are connected to each other. And so we come as your people. We come before you feasting on Jesus uh, spiritually and that he would nourish us and that he would build us in our faith. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.